Good morning. It's Monday, October 23rd, 8.30 in the morning. That means it's time for Monday Morningside. Um, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to WKCR. Uh, my name is Josh Kazali. I'll be your host today. Um, it's a brisk and chilly morning here in New York City. Um, this is Monday Morningside. This is our variety news and arts show here at WKCR um, where we talk about all sorts of things. We, we bring in um, you know, shorter segments that aren't able to make it to, to air for a full hour, and we, we kind of collect them here in this hour-long slot. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm excited to, to, to bring you the show today. We have a great show today. Um, uh, a little bit more talk about um, various um, groups on campus, including one project called um, To Resist is to Love What Could Be. Um, if you're curious about that, you, you'll hear about what that means, what that is later um, we have a, in, a interview with one of the leaders of the Barnard RA um, Student Union um, who had a rally last Friday, so stay tuned for that. And we'll also have a preview for this Sunday's Sunday Profiles, which is our long-form profile um, show. But before we get started with the show today, I did want to take just a second to acknowledge some of the attention that um, this show has taken on mostly for our online listeners on Spotify and other pl- uh, podcast platforms. For those of you who haven't listened to our coverage of the student protest on Thursday, which was the 12th of October, you can find the special news broadcast on Monday Morningside on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud if you just look up Monday Morningside in any kind of podcast app. You can find it, um, as well as this show and all other shows. Um, now, regarding that broadcast, we spent a long time as a team creating a show that we felt was fair and balanced. And to people who have heard just parts of the show, I, I do encourage you to take some time and listen to the whole thing because we, we worked really hard for that for that show. Although I know if you, a lot of you are, are big fans of the music programming we do here at WKCR, I, I want to say that we really pride ourselves on the news and arts programming we do, me especially. I'm, I'm the head of news and arts here. Um, we're committed to, uh, as a station, to producing fair and responsible journalism, and we're always striving to improve on that goal um, and we're getting better at it every day. It, it probably won't be the last time you'll hear voices of protests and dissent from the station. In fact, you'll probably hear some today. Um, so I hope you'll consider th- through our programming, the many perspectives surrounding life on Morningside Heights, because that's really what, what we're trying to do here with this show and with this department at WKCR. Um, okay. So having, having said that, um, I want to talk a little bit about this to resist is to love what could be. So here on campus, um, kind of in the wake of some of the, the intense uh, protests on on the 12th, like I said, and like we talked about on that on that broadcast, um, there were these these posters that that signed that that showed up kind of around campus. There was an Instagram post um, which said to resist is to love what could be in this with this kind of heart on it, um, and it and it called for student-led organizations to to meet um, Thursday, October nineteenth, from five to seven p.m. on on the lawns here at Columbia University, which is a big gathering space um, for quote an evening of community love, performance, and solidarity. Um, so I was curious about this, so I reached out to them um, to to see what what this was about. Um, Again, reading from their Instagram post, the evening will start with organizations performing culturally significant songs, dances, reciting poetry, and more. 
By bringing these groups together, our intention is to display the importance of solidarity, universal liberation, and community in a trying moment like now. Um, so I was super curious about this. It's it's a, a kind of collaboration with a lot of student groups, including uh, Q House, which is a, a queer organization on campus, Students for Justice in Palestine, Jewish Voices for Peace, um, a lot of kind of various interest uh, um, affinity groups. Um, so I found out that it was it was kind of started by by this uh, Columbia junior. His name is Colin Radel. Uh, actually, I. Um, I knew him from a um, a class that we both took, which is which is uh, convenient. Um, I spoke with him about it. It was it was a lovely conversation that we had, and um, I hope you enjoy listening to it. So here's my conversation with Colin Radel, who is kind of the the head of this "To Resist Is to Love" with could be, what could be, which is the group he started, and um, you'll learn what that means in this interview. All right, I'm here with Colin Radel. Um, Colin, do you want to introduce yourself and and the the project that we're going to be talking about? To resist is to love. What could be? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Colin Radel. I would like to say I'm lead director, lead organizer of a project that we just officially launched. Uh, to resist is to love. What could be? About six, seven weeks ago, we started a project centered on love as a form of resistance. Um, we were taking different social cultural movements from across history so think women's rights queer rights trans rights housing rights and we were taking these kind of political placards uh, from these different movements and spray painting them onto shirts and all the profits were going to be donated to mutual aids in new york city um, and so we were doing photo shoots we had you know a head photographer we had creative directors we had assistants we had a huge uh, photo shoots with seven beautiful models and we're we were about to launch uh, the collection, but it just felt very disingenuous. Mm-hmm. So we thought instead of asking the community to give back to us, how can we kind of use our own philosophy and narrative that we developed about community, love, solidarity, to give back to the community right now in a time where a lot of students, particularly marginalized students, feel they need a space on campus. So we kind of took a minute to pause our rollout just to provide that uh, community and space for students across campus. So you talked about how the the project initially began a few weeks ago. Can you talk about the kind of initial formation of of the group and the project, especially this this motto to resist is to love what could be? You know, what were the initial conversations and how did it kind of emerge? Yeah, so the phrase itself to resist is to love what could be started during I want to say spring of um I guess that'd be spring 23 and I was doing just a clothing collection we we're just doing 19 pieces. And I was really obsessed with like a heart as an iconography. And over the heart, I spray painted to resist as the love it could be. Um, And that was just, I I felt done with it Um, until I went to Kenya this summer on a Fulbright. And while visiting the National Museum of Kenya, uh, there was an exhibition with uh, different items as artifacts of Kenyan's history, right? So looking at clothing, looking at like signage, but something that just drew my attention was this black and white shirt that read uh, "End Female Mutilation," and I was very, very curious as clothing, as the personal, as the political, but also very much aware of its own historicity and its place in kind of this collective consciousness. And so it kind of 
invigorated me to use to resist is to love what could be as this kind of declaration of self. And so using that along with about four or five other uh, social, cultural, political movements across history. So again, women's rights, trans rights, queer rights, um, and using political placards from these moments in history as declarations of what people believe in. So it kind of turned into a little clothing collection that we would then donate to mutual aids in New York. Right, yeah. And I, I, I wanted to ask actually specifically about, about the word love and that, that slogan, which is, it seems really key, especially when you're talking about the heart iconography. But I'm, I'm interested in, I guess, what, what that means to you, because I think love is such a powerful word and also something that's malleable in a lot of ways. You know, it, can, it means a lot of different things to different people. So when you're using it in, in the context of your, this, this, this project, what, what does it mean to you? Right. And I think it, it goes for both love and resistance as these very flexible, personal and, and intimate like actions. And so I guess within this love for me and the phrase has really just meant looking to the future of a future that you might not even reap the rewards for or, or love for someone that you might never meet because of the consequences of your actions of resistance. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's also this kind of question of, of potential of like what, what could be. I mean, I think it's a really interesting slogan. Is that also a part of it? I guess kind of like looking um, towards the future. A hundred percent. I think it is very much future focused because we're, we're taking these these five different uh, cultural, political movements across time that, that are still very much centered today. Like we think about Roe versus Wade. I think about like women still having to fight for just equal rights um, and even think about trans rights right now uh, in America and so very much centering that the resistance of the past is very much shaping today and today's resistance is very much shaping the resistance of the future so it's always about this movement and this flexibility and this having to think about the people after us and I think having to think about the people after us is a form of love for the future mm, right and I, I want to ask you about uh, specifically the way that the the project has kind of reoriented you said in in the past few weeks particularly with the 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 political climate um, on campus which has has become pretty intense because of um, some of the, the protests that are happening um, what was that reorientation like what were the conversations that were being had um, in in the wake of, of some of that right I, I was lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to attend a prayer circle where I heard students who loved the action going on around campus, or I, I hate to say loved, uh, but who, who respected the different movements from student groups around campus, but might have not felt like it was a space that they could participate in. Uh, participate in. And so I, I thought, what about other alternatives? What space can we provide students? Or hearing from students that they don't feel comfortable on campus, and how could we use that idea as resistance as love to kind of recenter the focus? Right. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm also interested in. I mean, you talk about um, using love and this like love-centered idea of of progress and of resistance. Um, I guess what what does that look like in practice for you? Because I, I think it is, you know, a lot of people talk about the, the political climate right now as something that's re really, and not just right now, recently, but just in in the, the like digital age as something that's really difficult to to avoid feeling like it's all kind of conflict and, and 
um, aggression. How how does it, when you're planning an event like the the one that happened last Thursday, what 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 sort of things are you thinking about? Of course, um, the, our our main focus was this kind of cross cultural solidarity. So it was ensuring that we reach groups across Columbia's campus that that understand to have this kind of shared histories of of understanding marginalization, subject uh, subjugation, and oppression, right? And bringing these groups together to be able to sit on the lawns with their friends, look around and just take a collective breath and to, to hear different groups from across demographics, hear poetry being recited, uh, to hear we had uh, the Columbia's Marachi band play. Mm. And so just, just to be together um, in this collective space uh, for me was how we kind of demonstrated that kind of cross-cultural signals of love. Right. Yeah, I want to I talk about um, the event um, last Thursday, um, which I, I have some of the, the, the information on. So it happened from 5 to 7 p.m. last Thursday, which was October uh, 19th, I believe. Um, yeah, the 19th um, on Butler Lawns, which is, that's the big library here on Columbia's campus, right in front. There's really beautiful grass, <laughs> grasses there. Um, yeah, what, what was it like? Um, it lasted for, for a while, I believe. Yeah, um, it was it was crazy. It was to see four days of planning mm-hmm. uh, kind of transpire into something just so beautiful. Uh, I, I felt so grateful. I, as I sit here today as a single individual, I think it's just so important to recognize that there were countless people behind me. Um, my co-organizer, Gabby Diaz, was phenomenal in helping just plan and organize this event. Uh, we started reaching out to mutual, oh, or sorry, not mutual aids, uh, student-led organizations Sunday night. Uh, we advertised Tuesday night, um, and then the event was Thursday. So it was very uh, abrupt, but I think that it was incredible um, space. And from the feedback we heard, students are excited for what we can do in the future. Right, yeah. So, so what actually, I guess, like, what did it look like um, on the lawns for those who weren't able to attend, um, you know, what what did the the, the event actually kind of, uh, how did of it course. unfold? Um, so we had different student groups uh, perform. So think of the Barnard Organization of Soul and Solidarity performed uh, poetry. We had the Armenian Student Association uh, talk about the current events of Armenia. We had Columbia's Mariachi Band perform. Um, we had... Caribbean Student Association play music, um, and then we just had anybody who felt comfortable to come up and speak, or, or felt impassioned by the words that they were hearing, um, and then we just took several breaks to just let people rest, to talk to each other, to take that breath, um, and again, it was just about providing that space on campus where students could come together um, and just breathe. Right. Yeah. And you're you're you've you've talked a little bit about kind of differentiating. Um, an event like this from something more kind of dissent, uh, like a, a protest sort of rally focused. Um, did, did that? Did the environment feel different from from something like th- what happened the, w- the week before? Um, so I think the huge part of why we started it was that resistance comes in so many different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, energy wise, I when I go to rallies, I always feel impassioned. I always feel loved, and I. I would like to say that there was a similar feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe right now the climate or cli- climate, um, it might not have felt as charged or as 
I don't know. I don't feel like students might have been checking behind their backs. You know, it was opportunity mm. to sit on the grass and come to relax. Right. Yeah. I think that 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 makes sense. Kind of. I think what you're saying is it's kind of it, it exists on a spectrum of of feelings and moods. Um, yeah. And you you've talked about um, the mariachi band as well as poetry readings. Um, you're u- using a lot of the arts. Um, was that initially the plan? the whole time to, to incorporate um, artistic movements and expression into as the kind of forefront of this event. Yeah, so it was just offering a space for these different organizations and we made it really clear this is a space for you to express yourself in whatever way that you feel uh, comfortable with. So we offered them spaces if they would like to do chants, if they would like to perform. Um, and it was, again, just a way of showing this cross-culture solidarity, like even having Jewish Voices for Peace speak, as well as like the Barnard RAs, like just mm-hmm. amplifying these different movements that are occurring simultaneously on campus that, that really have this underlying similarity of this kind of solidarity between each other. Right, right. And, and on that mention of solidarity, um, I was going to ask you about that because um, the, the event was in collaboration with a lot of other groups on campus, which you mentioned, including Students for Justice in Palestine, Jewish Voice for Peace, um, as well as like Q House, and which is um, the, 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 the queer organization um, on campus. Um, yeah, what, what were those conversations like between those groups? Like, how, was, how did you kind of get all of that um, together? Yeah, it would not have been possible. I, I had posted on my Instagram story, like, does any, I want to do this event focused on community solidarity and providing a space on campus. Very time sensitive. This is on Saturday, trying right. to plan for Thursday. And I just had overwhelming amount of support from people that I've known to people that I had only met that day at the event. Um, so we organized a committee, about 13 students doing outreach. And we just created a Google Sheet. We just talked about what we wanted the event to look like kind of gave a script um, and then we were just uh, looking at different student groups and and again the student groups kind of range like from dance groups to affinity groups to we even reached out to different literary groups to perform right. um, so it really was just a assemblage of student groups that kind of represented um, or, or kind of had advocated for this shared history of marginalization and oppression across histories Right, which which brings me to another question I was going to ask is um, is that idea of intersectionality, which has become you know really um, on the forefront of the way that we talk about political movements. Um, what does that mean, I guess, for 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 this this project that you've you've started, um, and especially I guess in this political moment, um, I guess what does that mean? What does it feel like to be a part of something that is bringing together all of these? different perspectives on 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 a moment of course and i think that's what why i felt like this project was the right platform because this is this was something that we've been grappling with from the the start of looking at how all these projects range across history across people across demographics but do have this kind of underlying similarity of just advocating for community for liberation um, from the stop of like being a subjugated body for this kind of uh, collective freedom. And so I guess within this, intersectionality just played a huge role in like who we just reached out to and, and wanting to amplify these voices across campus who, 
who do share these kind of collective histories and to give them a space knowing that a lot of times marginalized folks on this campus do feel very undervalued, underrepresented. So how can we as a community group provide that space for them? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you're talking you're talking about um, these, you know, these these big kind of intense questions of liberation and and resistance. But at the same time, you're also talking about having time to breathe and time having space. Um, and I guess I'm asking, I'm wondering for for you, how, how do you just like personally, I, I find it really hard to, I guess, navigate that that question of how do you feel like you're you're enacting change while at the same time having that space to breathe um i guess for you how how do you, how do you try to kind of navigate that that tightrope right and I, I felt like this week was very helpful in kind of solidifying what i think my role is in the community um and just being able to to lead and to organize this and just knowing that you're just a a puzzle piece right and that there was so many phenomenal people who believed in the cause that without them, it wouldn't have happened. Um, so like, I guess on a personal note, it was having those people to fall back on and to, to have people who just believed in your cause just invigorated you. Like to have people be like, I think this is great. I want to show up. How can I help? Just felt like you were contributing something that, that it was something worthwhile. And so I think that just constantly inspired me. And every time a new group, like even if we had 20 uh, by, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, I, I just felt so inspired that people believed in us and wanted this to succeed. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it's interesting that you had just like so many different groups, like even again, like the mariachi band, like what, what was that like having them play? It was, I, I was so excited. And again, it was so last minute that a lot of groups were like, we, we will support, we will repost, we will do anything you need. We can't perform, um, and so we reached out to the mariachi band and they were like, we, they were unsure if they were able. And we were like, please, 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 like just a little anything that you could do. Um, and to sit there on the lawns and to see them come together and the community just swaying back and forth to their words and seeing people pass by with their phones uh, just felt so amazing. Um, it was it was incredible. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was a it was a really um, tremendous event. Um, I kind of want to end by just asking what what are, what are your next steps? Um, I guess what do you see moving forward with this this group, this project? You talked a little bit about its beginning as kind of a, a fashion project. Um, what's what's next for you? I think that we were able through this project to create a kind of philosophy, this kind of narrative of how how do you kind of take these abstract theories into tangible praxis. Um, and so we're hoping now, how can we provide that space for further cross-cultural interactions and, and solidarity? And uh, we, we joke so much, like if we gave this two to three weeks and we just reached out to 50 student organizations, and we just got 30 to come out and, and do something similar on a larger scale. Um, right now, we're hoping to launch our collection. Um, and again, all profits will go to different mutual aids uh, in New York City. So right now we're just working on rollout. We're doing marketing and advertising right now. Uh, and after that, we're just hoping to continue to be a part of the community. Right. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say, if you're interested in, in following some of this stuff, you can follow, uh, the project at, uh, to resist is to love on Instagram. That's what they, they've 
Um, you've listed a lot of your the events as well. I assume the the other things that are coming will also be there. Um, yeah, well, it's it's exciting. It's exciting stuff. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, happy happy to. Um, best of luck with the rest of the the semester. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much to Colin for joining me for that segment. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. So if you're, you're interested in finding more information about to resist is to love, um, you can find it on their Instagram to resist is to love at to resist is to love. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting sort of way to think, um, especially in the current kind of way that things can feel sometimes it was, it was kind of a nice, nice conversation that we had. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Um, uh, we're going to move on to a future segment. It's it's now 8.55 in the morning here in New York City. You're listening to WKCR-FM and WKCR-HD here in New York City. Um, you can tune in at 89.9 on the dial in the New York area, as well as WKCR.org online. My name is Josh Kazali. I'm the host of Monday Morningside. Today is Monday, October 23rd, and on this chilly morning, um, we've been talking about um, a lot of sort of student, um, movement and, and feeling and, and part of that, that we're going to move forward into is, is the, the Barnard RA union, um, which has been, um, meeting since last, last academic year, um, in the spring. And, um, they met on Friday, um, October 20th at one thirty in the afternoon. Um, they're all wearing red and this is, I'm reading from their, their Instagram post about this, that, um, to, to stand with RAs, which is again, those of you who maybe weren't in, aren't in college, um, as recently RAs are the resident advisors. They're, they're the people who are on the floors, um, you know, making sure everyone is safe and comfortable. And, um, so they're, 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 fighting for pay equity and the col- and for the college to acknowledge their efforts. Um, so getting, getting this story was Natalie Butner, um, who is a big part of our, our reporting on, on the student protests recently. Um, so this is, this is a, a kind of short segment. So, so I'm going to turn to that, um, soon, but I hope you're all having a good morning. Um, and I hope you'll stay tuned for, for the rest of the show. Um, this is Natalie Butner on the Barnard RA Union Rally. The sounds you're hearing now are chants from the Barnard RA Union Rally, held this Friday, October 20th, outside Barnard Hall. Primarily, the Barnard RAs and their supporters are demanding equitable treatment for all Barnard residential assistants. This rally comes almost exactly a year after the Barnard RA Union was officially recognized by the National Labor Relations Board. Since then, they have been in regular negotiations with the college, yielding few tangible results. The day before the rally, I sat down to talk with Abigail Fixel a first-year RA and leader within the Barnard RA Union, about her involvement in the union negotiations in 2023 and the demands for Friday's rally. What drew you to being an RA, and how did you get involved with the union? 
I actually became an RA because I had an amazing first year RA. Her name's Lorianne. Shout out Lorianne. And I loved her so much and she really, really changed my college experience for the better. And I wanted to be able to do that for others and give back to my community in that way. And I became involved with the union very quickly. Um, I'm a big political ad activist in my free time. And so I recognize you know, how important it is that RAs have fair pay and have representation. And so therefore I knew right off the bat that it was something I really wanted to help fight for. Can you tell me a bit about like uh, the Barnard RA Union's kind of timeline this year? Um, what has happened already and, and what are you planning? So we began un- union bargaining back in February of 2023, and we've been going to the table with the college ever since. For a while, we were pretty stalled. The college wasn't responding to our compensation proposal, but since we've gotten into this semester, we've really been pushing, and we've been in bargaining almost every week, if not every other week. Our goals are really, we're trying to fight for fair and equitable compensation. We discovered that RAs that are low income and receiving a higher Barnard financial aid grant are making less money for being RAs than higher income students who aren't receiving financial aid grant money. And we just, we don't believe as a college that values its liberal beliefs that that's fair and we want to fight for equitable compensation amongst us. Tomorrow on Friday, we are holding a rally and our goals with that are really to pressure the college into bringing people to the table that can make decisions to help us achieve that financial equity so that we can continue to move forward with our contract and with our bargaining process. Friday, unfortunately, ended up being a drizzly gray day. In spite of the weather, a small crowd gathered at 1.30 outside Barnard Hall to listen to speeches from union members and show their support with chants and signs. So, so since that compensation proposal happened, we've been going back and forth with the college, and we're here today to put pressure on the college to give us a fair, equitable, and adequate compensation proposal that benefits all RAs. Woo! In conversations with union RA leaders, I got a sense of the solidarity within the union, as well as the impatience with the lack of progress on the union demands. We've recently had a lot of bargaining meetings. Bargaining committee has, you know, countered and spoken with ResLife regarding compensation for a couple weeks now. Um, Continuously, they just, they counter us with proposals that are really unfair. Um, They either, you know, support those on financial aid or those who aren't on financial aid. the most recent proposal was 5500 I believe, per semester without housing and meal plan. So we're really just trying to, to get a compensation proposal that is fair and equitable. Like, I'm a student who's not on high financial aid, and I am still here because the working conditions that I have to go through are ridiculous. And it's inane to me that there are students that are being paid a net zero where I'm, like, sitting pretty, right? Like, that's not fair. In addition to current Barnard RAs, I spoke with a recent graduate who returned to campus to support the Barnard RAs during this rally. Yes, my name is Aditi Misra. I'm the class of 2023. I was one of the initial organizers when we first started the unionizing process, summer of 2022, and I was a member of the bargaining committee when we started bargaining in January. Out here to continue the work that we started 
I mean, over a year ago, we have been demanding from the college the same things. Fair pay, which includes room and board as a bare minimum because we wouldn't be able to do this job without either of those things. Plus pay that would at minimum be minimum wage for all the hours we spend doing wellness checks, doing room condition reports, planning events, 24-hour duty, all of these things that really add up. We're doing that essentially for free, especially if you're on financial aid, you're not even getting your room and board comped. We're demanding that. We're demanding more transparent communication. We're demanding respect, which is something that Res Life certainly has not given me historically. Um, so I'm personally here because I'm hoping, you know, maybe as an alum, they'll take me more seriously than they did as a student. Because we know that this college cares about money. And where does money come from? It comes from parents. It comes from alums. I also checked back in with Abigail about how she felt that the rally had gone. And really, it was a wonderful display of community. And we really hope the college recognizes that, you know, we have this student support for a reason. This is such an important mission. We're working really hard to achieve equity for all RAs. And I think we did a pretty great job showing them that we have support and we're not going to quit fighting. This rally was just one in a series of escalating steps that the Barnard RA Union is taking to ensure equitable treatment for all RAs. Many of my conversations with union members alluded to more serious actions to come if an agreement between the Barnard RA Union and the college cannot be reached soon. I think um, looking forward, we are thinking about kind of voting to strike. Um, that would definitely be a, a big movement on our end. We are really just looking to have conversations with the college where we are heard. Um, I think that if they provide us something that is realistic and again, equitable um, on compensation, then we would be looking to kind of come to an agreement, but we need something that is fair. Yeah, next steps, um, we have to go back into the bargaining room, see how they respond to our rally, um, put pressure on Rosenberry to recognize our union and make sure that she understands that we are not going to stop until we are paid fairly um, and equitably um, and if they don't respond accordingly we might have to strike none of us want to do that this job is the only reason I can afford to go to college right now right like I won't be able to come here next semester if I do not have this job it is terrifying to scream and shout in front of the res life office my employers because I'm scared that they might put a black mark next to my name because of it but if it comes down to it and they're not paying us fairly and they're not treating us equitably, then we're going to have to strike. And none of us want to go there. For more information on the Barnard RA Union, they have published an op-ed outlining their goals and an in-depth timeline of their bargaining so far in the Columbia Spectator titled Barnard RA Union Fighting for Fair Compensation. They're also on Instagram at Barnard RA Union. That was the report on the Barnard RA Union rally last Friday, um, ending with a, a, uh, a rendition of, of Call Me Maybe um, directed at 
President Laura, uh, President Rosenberry of, of Barnard, Barnard College. Um, yeah, thank, big thanks to Natalie for getting us that story. Um, well reported, well, well, well documented on, on that end. And yeah, as you can tell, it's, it's always an eventful and, and active uh, place here at, at Columbia, at Barnard. Um, yeah, so we, we've, we've talked a little bit about the, the Barnard RA union before, but you can, you can always find more information online. Once again, there's that, that Spectator article, which kind of has a list of, of their demands. Um, and they're on Instagram. They're, they're, um, they've also made, made, um, been covered in, in places like Teen Vogue and, and blog here on campus. Um, kind of at, at the front of this kind of um, union unionization of of college RA groups um, yeah it's a, it's a it's a hard job um, so yeah it's interesting stuff and and always good to follow the the events here on campus because sometimes they they can become pretty pretty um, exciting um, so once again thank you to Natalie um, we're gonna get to our last segment today's gonna be a little bit of a shorter show. But I did want to take some time to to look forward to the week. Um, you've heard a lot of birthday broadcasts here in October. It's it's an eventful one. Um, we had Thelonious Monk earlier, as well as Ragas Live, um, which I hope a lot of you tuned into. That's what, I know that's one of our favorite shows, and we covered it here on this show. Um, how exciting that was, and we worked hard um, through amid and amid. Um, a lot of technical difficulties, as always, on this station. Um, and on the 16th, we had Fela Kuti. We had um, Celia Cruz over the weekend. And um, the last one will be next week, um, a week from today, in fact, the Clifford Brown birthday broadcast um, on the 30th of October, um, which unfortunately means that this show will not be back um, this this week um, or next week. But um, probably the week after, we will be back with Monday Morning Side. It gives us an extra week to prepare. Um, yeah. Um, until then, once again, you can find um, all the episodes of Monday Morning Side going back to to fall of 2022 um, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you look up Monday Morning Side, um, you can find all the stuff we've done there. Um, okay. So I also wanted to to take a look at Sunday profiles coming up. Um, Sunday Profiles is the long-form um, profile show that we do here on, on WKCR. It's, it's supposed to be the most exhaustively researched and, and um, well-prepared sh- music show that we do, um, which kind of emerged from the Jazz Profiles show that we, we've done for, for years and years. Um, but um, this, this week's is, is not jazz, actually. It's, it's um, a, a, a band called Fishman's from from japan it's it's um they're kind of a like rock alternative um uh they're a really interesting band um in fact i'm not quite as qualified to talk about it as as my friend ian pumphrey who does a couple shows in in here at wkcr and he'll be be the host of this this sunday profiles coming up um so we talked with him about that and and um, I hope you'll you'll stay tuned and and hear about what you can expect from this Sunday's Sunday profile.
Welcome to the first ever uh, Sunday Profiles previews. Um, today, I'm I'm going to be talking to the person who's doing next week's Sunday Profile, Ian Pumphrey. Do you want to? Hello, hello. Yes. Introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Ian Pumphrey, uh, Student Life Events Director. Work with Ted Schmiedler, Student Life Director. Um, shout out, Ted. Um, always, 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 um, always. Yeah. So this this is kind of a new a new segment that we're trying out. Um, just kind of so for those of you who maybe don't know. Sunday Profiles is a long form. What is it like? Three to five hours usually. Ooh, two to two to seven. Five two to hours. seven. Five yeah. hours. Yeah. So you're so it's a it's a long form uh, profile which we do on Sundays. It's actually as we're recording this, um, someone's doing a a, a profile as exactly. we speak. Yeah. Um. So what is the the band that you'll be you'll be profiling this Sunday? So it's Fishman's. They're a, a Japanese band. 1987. They were formed. Uh, played for around. 12, 13 years uh, until the lead singer's death, uh, Shinji Sato. Um, and yeah, they're kind of a psychedelic band. Um, it, uh, honestly, in in the, I guess, Western, I don't know how you call it, even just the, most of the American audience, they're mm-hmm. r- relatively unknown. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they've kind of uh, generated this like international cult following, uh, especially on the internet uh, just in recent years. Right, right, yeah. I, I do know a couple songs by them, and that's mm-hmm. great stuff. So this is, this is going to be next Sunday. On the 29th of October. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess, Ian, I first want to know, like, um, you know, when did it start? Is this your first Sunday profile? Yeah, so uh, about a month ago, I did a Velvet Underground Sunday profile, and that was my first one. And that was kind of this this colossal uh, project. Yeah, that's a, that's a big, it's a big, hard thing. big undertaking. Yeah, exactly. It's a hard thing to kind of uh, uh, encapsulate or just capture just how important that band was. Um, and so ever since then, I, I really enjoyed doing that. But ever since then, I was like, I want to do a band that, you know, I think has a cult following just as the Velvet Underground does, but it's kind of one of those things where I think once you listen to them, you won't stop listening to them. Mm. Uh, and I think for me, that was Fishman's. I was like, I gotta do, I have to do like this Fishman's band. Yeah. Where did your Where did your relationship with Fishman's begin? Yeah. So uh, back in like sophomore year of high school, I uh, as I was getting more and more into like the uh, I, you'd call it like Mucor R.I.M. Uh, kind of this like internet circle uh, right, of music. Right, online, yeah. You got like Neutral Milk Hotel um, and other you know bands that I think the station if you talk about them they'll get this kind of sardonic smile <laughs> like uh, of course like kind of like a Weezer thing not but Fishman's isn't Weezer but uh, kind of this you know a band where it's like a, if you know you know but it's also like this is one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, and so for me, around sophomore year, I started listening to Fishman's. And I remember listening to Long Season, which I think you can't talk about Fishman's without talking about Long Season, which is this 40-minute uh, track that they made that kind of, uh, I would say, cemented them into like the all-time greats. Um, and so I listened to that song, and I pretty much was obsessed ever since. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for maybe someone listening who, who isn't, isn't, you know, familiar so familiar with with fishman's and, and the style you know what's what's the the pitch if you're talking to someone who you're trying to get to listen to especially something as, as daunting as like a 40 minute song like um long season yeah it's like uh you know a lot, a lot a lot of modern indie music i feel like you know um i'm talking more mainstream indie music uh that kind of dominates the charts you had tim and paula with currents that came out and that kind of just blew things up uh and there's a lot of talk of there you are know, a lot of bands nowadays that play this very psychedelic kind of dreamy music and it's very in and understandably so because it's just very beautiful but i think fishman's play a really a unique role in the kind of the music uh, music history because for most of the 90s at least in the american air uh the american market you had just grunge very rocky punky metal kind of stuff going on and then away over in japan you have this super um you'd call it like dubby almost reggae uh mm-hmm. psychedelic music that's just very um 
uh, dreamy and ethereal and stuff that was not really shoegaze. It's more of this kind of, uh, you'd call it like modern dream pop. When you listen mm. to it, it's very ahead of its time. And so I think that's the pitch I would give. But on top of that, I would say you, you're getting this dream pop sound, but it's a progressive dream pop. Uh, pop sound. Think of like a a King Crimson meets Why Bloody Valentine almost, or a King Crimson meets Slow Dive, where you have this 15 minute song uh, that's just beautiful. So yeah, right, yeah. Um, so you know, it's a it's a daunting project to do a yeah. a, a long profile like that. Um, what's what's your your process going to be like as you go into the the planning stage of this uh, this profile? Yeah, so they, they recently did a documentary. It's uh, it's actually it's really hard to find on streaming or just to f- honestly find a copy of it in, in the U.S. with English subtitles. But they did a documentary that was, uh, I think, a long time in the making about the history of Fishman's. And I think I want to – I'm going to try to find that documentary mm-hmm. and, and kind of see how they uh, kind of uh, historicized Fishman's. But, but one thing I want to focus on is just the um, – Sinji Sato's story, who's the lead singer, um, mm-hmm. and really uh, most of the, the the Sunday profile will be guided by uh, Fishman's greatest album, and in my opinion, the greatest live album of all time, which is the Fishman's last concert ever. It's this three-hour album, and the the tragedy of it, or I guess the beauty of it, is that right after the show, I think a week later, maybe a few days later, the show's where I'm at in my research. Um, I think a few days later, uh, after this concert, Sinji Sato uh, passed away, like right after the band mm-hmm. is formed. Right. But you listen to this recording, and it's so just gigantic, and uh, it just feels like this giant force of energy and creativity. It's almost like prophetic in, in the sense that Fishman's, like they knew that this was their last hmm. concert, the last thing they'd ever do. And they, they went out with just a bang of a concert. It is... Uh, and I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, playing it on air and uh, seeing, you know, what listeners think. And the last song of the concert is, of course, Long Season. It's an hour-long version of the 40-minute song. Right. And I'm, it, I'll be honest, it just it never fails to bring tears to my eyes how great mm. the song is. So, yeah, I, I want to really kind of focus on this concert and everything that was leading up to that moment. And then right, kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because when something like that happens, especially when it's something like music, I feel like you kind of have this, like, mythology that, that exactly. is created so yeah that sounds like super interesting um i also wanted to ask because this is again it's a japanese band yeah. um, they sing in japanese mm-hmm. w- what's that like for you you know especially um you know we have a lot of other state departments in the in the in the station that program music that's right. not in english what's what's that like for you um, you know, just as a, an American listener. Yeah, so like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't um, speak Japanese. I don't, I don't, you know, know the language. Uh, I think as I listen to more Fishmans and kind of uh, translate and see what they're talking about, it's very interesting to see, you know, what what like what the songs are actually talking about. But I think uh, what I did for Velvet Underground, since they do like the, the songs are all in English, I would mm-hmm. bring up lyrics. And so for this, it's a little different, uh, just dynamically, because I don't know the lyrics to this. And you know, there's the act of translate translation here. Right. Um, and so. I think for me, it's just um, trying to to really do justice to uh, not just the sound of the songs, but also the subject matter. And I think how I plan to do that is, especially with Long Season, you know, a lot of their song titles are in English, and a lot of their band, uh, their album titles are in English, and that could be, of course, a translation brought over to the uh, uh, the Western market. But I think uh, for me, what I plan to do is just um, for songs that I think are particularly important to the band, translate that. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe even try to find 
there's a lot of there's a lot of fans obviously in the domestic market. There's a lot of diehard fans in Japan, and they're all over the internet discussion boards saying like, this song they're talking about this, and mm-hmm. actually you know you can contextualize this into like a modern uh, Japanese politics. And so I've really been looking into all of that and seeing mm. okay, how am I going to you know capture everything that this band was? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a that's a good good point, and it's nice that you that, that it does have an online sort of following to exactly to, to provide that. Okay. Any any last sort of comments? Anything that viewers should know before before listening to the the profile this Sunday? Yeah. I mean, just uh, you know, open ears, uh, something like <laughs> that, because uh, it is there are long songs. Yeah. There are some songs that uh, like Night Cruising, I think, is five minutes, and mm-hmm. it's an amazing song by them, mm-hmm. and it's one that I think if I was going to show any song by Fishman's, I would be that one. And I think after that, I would be like, okay, cool. If you like night cruising, listen to this 40-minute track called Long Season. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, open ears, and uh, I really hope you enjoy. It's the 29th, 2 to 7. Um, that is in a week from now, or at least from this recording. Right, uh, yeah. And so, um, yep, I'm really excited to bring Long Season to the airwaves. Awesome, great. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you to Ian for joining me um, on on that um, yeah on on that discussion about Fishman's. I'm I'm excited for that for that um, yeah for that that show. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, yeah, and they're they're a really cool band. I I haven't listened to probably as much as Ian has, but um, I do think they're they're great and and a lot of great music. Um, so yeah. Um, look forward to that. Um, you can also find Ian on a news and arts show called Playlist Profiles, which he does on Wednesdays. So you can find that. Um, yeah. Um, so that's that's the last the last bit that I had had programmed. So I think I'll I'll play actually uh, Night Cruising, that song that Ian mentioned, um, to maybe give you a sense for what you can expect from from the Fishman So um, so yeah, it's now um, eight nine twenty in the morning here in New York City. Once again, you're listening to Monday Morningside. Um, if you're listening online um, or listening to the podcast version of this, you won't be able to hear the Fishman song. Um, but those of you who are listening live, this is Night Night Cruising by Fishman's from their 1996 album. Um, yeah, check it out. And if you like it, maybe um, tune in on this Sunday. That was Night Cruising by Fishman's. Um, once again, this Sunday, tune in to um, pro- Playlist Profiles from 2 to 7. Um, you can hear Ian breaking down the music of of Fishman's. Um, so that's that's the end of our show. I do want to, I wanted to, a lot of the times we'll do, do readings here on this show, um, often with collaborations with the Blue and White or, or some other writers on campus. Um, and I wasn't able to, to secure a, a reading for, for this week, but I have been reading Middlemarch for one of my my own classes. Um, and I found a passage that I thought um, would be a good one to read. So with these last few minutes, I, I wanted to read from this this passage. Um, this is from like the middle of the book. Um, and there are these two characters talking. One of them is Dorothea Brooke, who is this young um, young woman um, and and the other is um, Will um, Ladislaw, who is um, this kind of another kind of young um, romantic kind of character, um, 
and they're kind of talking about their 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 shared ideologies, um, sort of philosophies, maybe. So, um, yeah, to end up the show, I'm just going to do a little reading from Middlemarch, um, which is, of course, written by um, George Eliot or um, Mary Ann Evans. Um, yeah, so this this first bit is going to be from, from um, Dorothea. But I have a belief of my own, and it comforts me. What is that, said Will, rather conscious, rather jealous of the belief? That by desiring what is perfectly good, even when we don't quite know what it is and cannot do what we would, we are part of the divine power against evil, widening the skirts of light and making the struggle with darkness narrower. That is a beautiful mysticism, and it is a, please do not call it by any name, said Dorothea, putting out her hands entreatingly. You will say it is Persian or something else geographical. It is my life. I have found it out and cannot part with it. I have always been finding out my religion since I was a little girl. I used to pray so much, now I hardly ever pray. I try not to have desires merely for myself because they may not be good for others, and I have too much already. I only told you that you might know quite well how my days go at Lowick. God bless you for telling me, said Will ardently, and rather wondering at himself. They were looking at each other like two fond children who were talking confidentially of birds. What is your religion, said Dorothea? I mean, not what you know about religion, but the belief that helps you most. To love what is good and beautiful when I see it, said Will. But I am a rebel. I don't feel bound as you do to submit to what I don't like. But if you like what is good, that comes to the same thing, said Dorothea, smiling. Once again, little passage from, from Middlemarch um, to kick off your day. It's now 9.30 in the morning. Um, yeah, and maybe you're you're feeling like more like a Dorothea today. Maybe you're feeling more like a Will. Um, but I think a little Monday morning, uh, Middlemarch never hurt anybody. Um, thanks for listening. This has been Monday Morningside. Um, I've been Josh Kazali, your host. Um, and I'll be back soon enough with another episode of Monday Morningside. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening and, um, yeah, Serial Music will be coming up. Um, yeah, have a great rest of your morning and enjoy the day.